right. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Smiling faces. Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Jesus. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If you're visiting this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you were looking forward to hearing Pastor Rick this morning, come back next week and he will be back. All right. Thank you, Max and Amber. Uh, for those that may not be familiar, this is an Advent series of candles. Is that how we would say this? Uh, they, they represent looking forward to the coming Christ. And so on Christmas or the last service before Christmas, we'll light the center candle there representing the presence of Christ. is represented in his birth through Christmas. All right. Uh, open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 8. Page 242, if you are using the Bible in the pew in front of you. All right. We've been going through the book of 2 Samuel. We've been uh, taking about a chapter at a time. Last week, we took two weeks for chapter 7. And what we've been seeing in the book of Samuel is stories and scenes about specific people through the book. Scenes about the lives of these people, Hannah and Samuel and Saul and David. But here in chapter 8, what the author is going to do, what the writer is going to do, is he's going to kind of pull back. You remember in The Lion King when Simba met Pumbaa and Timon? And they go to the jungle and they sing Hakuna Matata? Remember that? Simba goes as a little baby pup, but then he comes out as like a grown pup, right? Like he's a big lion now. And it happens real quick. It shows him growing up. That's kind of what's happening here. Instead of taking one story, the narrator is going to show us a bunch of stories. And the reality is there's probably years between all of these events that we're going to see. And so he's not looking to be like chronologically accurate in what he's writing. He's trying to paint a picture for us. He's choosing specific events to paint a specific picture. And that picture, as we're going to see in general, is the rise of David as the king of Israel. David was anointed in chapter 5. And this is an expression of his rise as the king. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the one-sentence summary of the message that I hope to bring. King David's rule in 2 Samuel chapter 8 is a fulfillment and a foreshadowing of God's faithful promise-keeping to his people. We just studied chapter 7. Uh, Bob did a great job of leading us through that. And... The reality is chapter 7 is a high point in the story of the life of David. It's, it's very important. And the reality is it's a high point in the story of salvation, like the whole story of salvation. One commentator says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we've heard some of the most important words ever heard in the history of the world. God's promise about his coming kingdom. And that brings us here from chapter 7 into chapter 8. So let's read this together. 2 Samuel 8, after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Amah out of the hands of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadad Etzer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariots, horses, but he left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadad Etzer, the king of Zobah, 
David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadetzer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betah and from Berothai, cities of Hadadetzer, King David took very much bronze. When Toi, the king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadetzer, Toi sent his son Uram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadetzer and defeated him. For Hadadetzer had been often at war with Toi. And Uram brought articles of silver and gold and of bronze. These also David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and the gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subsumed from Edom, from Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, from the spoils of Hadad-Etzer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeriah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder, and Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over, whoever those guys were, and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. You ever get a speaking assignment and you look at the assignment and you go, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> no, me either. We're, we're good. <laughs> the author here in chapter 8 is painting a picture of the rise of David as the king. And I think it's going to be helpful to go back and explore a few themes that are undergirding all of these events that we're seeing here. If we're not careful, we'll read about these battles and we'll just think, oh, that's interesting. Names, places, great. But I think if we understand what's underneath, what we'll think is something more along the lines of, oh my goodness, look at how David is leading. And so in, in, in going with the theme of our sermon series, King, Covenant, and Kingdom, I want to explore these themes in addition to one more, justice. Four themes this morning that I want to look at. And so the first one, King. What comes to your mind when you hear the word king? Maybe you think of the king of England. Here he has a new job, right? No, not him. King George. He's had a resurgence in popularity recent years. He has some interesting ways of reminding you of his love. King Triton. He reprimanded his daughters every now and then, but overall I hear he was a good guy. What comes to your mind when you think of a king? What comes to your mind when you hear the name King David? So I want to take some, a few minutes, take five minutes or so, to paint a picture of what it took for David to become the king of Israel. All right? So we have an accurate picture of what this means. The nation of Israel actually has its beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. God makes some promises to Abraham here in chapter 12, and he says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I want to highlight three things here in this, in this passage, these promises that God makes to Abraham. He promises that there'll be land. He promises that he will make the people into a great nation. And he promises that there will be a great name. And 650 years, thereabouts, somewhere in there, before David is king, God makes these promises to Abraham. These people, Abraham's descendants, would eventually become the Israelites that David is ruling over. All right? And so as the story goes from Abraham, the people grew in number. They get too big. They get enslaved by the Egyptians. Pharaoh doesn't like how big they are. They're too powerful. And then we hear, read about Moses. God sends Moses to rescue the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. They end up at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses receives the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments from God. And functionally, what the Ten Commandments are is pretty much like the Constitution for the nation of Israel. Before, they were just people. But at Mount Sinai, God gives them a law. And he gives them rules to live by. And the Ten Commandments start with this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be your king. I'm going to lead you. Be faithful to me. Don't have other gods, and then the rest of the commandments follow. Live like this if you're going to follow me. And what happens? As soon as Moses gets off the mountain, the people are already straying. Right? They've already built an idol, and they're going away from God. Back into the desert we go. Moses wanders, gets to the promised land. Moses fails. Didn't obey. So Moses is not allowed to enter. Well, who enters? Joshua. Joshua picks up the leadership. He takes the people into the promised land. God gives them victory in all these battles. Fought the battle of Jericho and all of these stories that we read about. But by the end of Joshua's life... Scripture says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served idols. Joshua was a good leader. He led well, and after he dies, the people strayed again. If you're following along in your Bible, after Joshua, we get the book of Judges. God appoints judges now to lead the people. And what happens? More disobedience. More oppression. More of God rescuing his people from their folly. Are we getting tired of hearing the same story yet? Good God, foolish people, disobedient. So the book of Judges highlights the flaws of human nature and the faithfulness of God to deliver them. And at the end of the book of Judges, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This is not a good thing. This is a low point at the end of the book there. The people knew what was right. They, knew, they had the law. They had seen God work mightily. I mean, just think about the wandering in the desert, right? Plagues to get out of Egypt. 
crossing a Red Sea, bread falling from the sky, a mountain, a cloud, Moses is up there, these tablets come out, like, these people know what has happened. Their tradition has told them how God has been faithful to them. And yet, they stray. They didn't have a leader who was willing to stand for the truth and to lead by example and live how God would want him to live. And that brings us to the book of Samuel. Samuel's the last judge, and he becomes the first prophet, and he's a godly man. He's a godly man in his time. But guess what happens after Samuel dies? For Samuel chapter 8, he appoints his sons as judges over Israel. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet. They took bribes and perverted justice. And so all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they went to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. And when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day that I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Chapter 8, verse 20. Then we will be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. They're not wrong. That's the job of the king. If they get a king, he will do these things. The absurdity of their obstinance was that God himself was their king. God himself was their leader. And what they're saying is that's not enough. Make us like everybody else around us. Side note, pagans, right? Because these were God's chosen people. Make us like everyone else. God was fighting their battles. God was feeding them. And in their obstinance, they wanted something else. Where are you at today, believer? Are you obeying the Lord's will in your life? Are you carrying yourself as you should? Are you treating the people around you the way he has called you to do that? Or do you have a better way? Or do you see the way others are living and think, yeah, that way looks better for me? Not just the past story, right? We We see ourselves here. So after Samuel, the people elect a king. His name was Saul. And they chose him because he was taller than everybody else and he was handsome. That's what the scripture says. But he doesn't obey God yet again. And ultimately he loses the throne. Another failed leader on the pile. And who does he lose the throne to? Who is his successor? A shepherd boy. The youngest son of a family. And when we see David through the scriptures, what we see is God's provision in David's life. 
He's anointed by Samuel. He defeats Goliath. He serves honorably in Saul's army. And he gains popularity among the people. Over and over and over, we see David trusting God. We see God granting David safety and victories throughout his life. He's upright. He's virtuous. He's trustworthy. He's growing in prowess and he's gaining the respect of the people. It's an interesting way to see David. You just kind of look at his whole life. There's always good things that we see. The, the, the writer is building David up. And in chapter 5, he's actually anointed the king. And all indications in the story is that David is not like his predecessors. He's doing differently. He loves God. He trusts God. And God is rewarding him for his faithfulness. So much so that God makes these promises to him in chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 8. Second Samuel 7. Now therefore, thus says... Excuse me, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, I'm going to read through 11, I took you from the pasture, following the sheep, that you should be prince over all of my people. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Do you hear the echoes of the promises to Abraham here? A name, a place, peace. Which brings us to chapter 8. David is the king because God has been faithful to generations of people before him. God is doing a work for his people. And David is the next in line to be used of God. All over this chapter, we see David is actually a good king. Verse 1, you see his military might, right? In verse 1, he defeats the Philistines. Verse 2, he defeats the Moabites. Hadad Etzer, he strikes down the Syrians. In verse 5, he strikes down the Edomites. In verse 13, David knew how to protect and rule. He was a good soldier. He was a good leader. In verse 11, even when he collects the spoils of war, what does he do with them? He dedicates them to the Lord. He doesn't keep them for himself. He doesn't build up his own wealth. He knew why he was winning. Because God was with him. He's a powerful king and he wins battles and he brings peace for his people. And it looks like David might actually be different than all of the leaders that had gone before him. 
And so as you're reading this and you hear the background and you know how people have failed, the question in your mind should be, might this King David finally be the one to rule the land and to bring peace to Israel? Come back next week and find out. (laughs) Do you feel the tension? Do you see the weight that's on his shoulders? The history, the persecution, the wars, the battles. Will he live up to it? Is the question. And that brings us to our second theme this morning. How was it that David came to be king? Why is he experiencing the success that he is? The second theme here is covenant. A covenant is like a promise. Uh, It's more than a promise. Usually covenants, oftentimes covenants, were punishable by death if you broke them. And so that's a little bit more than a promise, right? It's more than a contract, more than a promise. It's a binding of two people around some stipulations. We saw in Genesis chapter 12 that God made promises to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham to keep those promises. So I'm going to read the passage here, but before I do, I just want to explain it a little bit. Um, You know, sometimes in movies they say, you know, let's make a deal. Well, how do we really know? And they'll do something crazy like, let's spit in our hands and shake on it. Like, well, that's gross, and I don't know what that means, but I guess, okay, this is a serious handshake, right? There's different ways to make covenants, and we see them differently in Scripture. And one of the ways we're gonna, I'm going to show you right now is you take animals and you split them down the middle this way. I'm going to read it for you. You take the halves of the animals and you lay them on the ground, and then the two people that are making a covenant, they take hands, they lay out the stipulations of the agreement, And then they walk between the animals together, holding hands. And the word picture is, we're making this agreement together. But if either one of us violates this covenant, let us become like these animals. I'm making my promise to you. And if this, if I break my promise, let me be like one of these animals, i.e. dead. Okay. And so listen to this, Genesis chapter 15. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a goat and a ram, each three years old, excuse me, along with a dove and a pigeon. Abram brought these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. You read the text, God makes more promises to Abraham's. And in verse 17, it says this, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen... A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. The smoking fire pot is a representation of God, one of the two parties of this covenant. The other party was Abram. And where was he? Asleep. And so what is it showing that, the, that God goes through this animals by himself? What, is this, what does this mean? What God is saying is, I'm going to make a promise, and I'm going to keep the promise. Whether you keep the promise or not, Abram, you're not even walking between these animals. I'm going to make a promise, and I'm going to keep it. And if either one of us breaks this covenant, I'm going to die. I'm going to be the one to die. Do you hear echoes of the cross already? 
God is going to be faithful to his covenant, even if Abram is not. So all the way here, back in Genesis 15, we see a picture of God being willing to sacrifice himself to show his love to the people that he has chosen. Remember how the story went from here, right? Faithless. Strain. And yet, God keeps protecting and providing and caring for them. Why? Because he's keeping his covenant with Abraham. Because he's faithful to keep his word. And in the book of Samuel, where we are, we see God protecting and preserving David and bringing him to be the king and giving him a great name and making land for the people. Chapter 8, verse 6, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. It wasn't David's wit. It wasn't his might. It wasn't his experience, his military prowess. God gave victory. God's faithfulness to his own promises brought David victory. Verse 11, again, David knows the spoils of war. He dedicates them to the Lord. He knows where his victory is coming from. Verse 13, and David made a name for himself. All of the result of these victories was a fulfillment of this promise that there would be a name. He told Abram and he told David, you will have a name. And here David has a name. Verse 14, again, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And verse 15, and so David reigned over all of Israel and he administered justice and equity to his people. David was showing an example of what living under a righteous king could be like when God is at the center of his heart. As you read the book of Samuel, your ears should be ringing of God's faithfulness to his people. God's promise keeping, his covenant keeping. And we see that in all of the victories here in chapter 8. We tracking? Is it making sense? All right, good. I don't see anybody sleeping yet, so we're good. The third theme I want to explore this morning, kingdom. Kingdom. There's a lot of names and places listed in this chapter. And what the writer is demonstrating by listing these names and places is that the borders of the land of Israel are expanding. If we look at a map, we don't know exactly where these places were, but these are good estimates. Um, when you look at the names of the battles that were fought and how many men died and all of these things, essentially what the, what the writer is showing us is the different directions that the, that the nation was expanding in. The Philistines were to the west, the Amalekites, the Edomites were to the south, the Moabites and the Ammonites were to the east, and Aram and Damascus was to the north. And so what he's painting a picture of is the kingdom expanding through these military victories. Until David became king, the promise of land that God had made to Abraham was only ever partially realized. Remember, he told him, I'll make you a great nation. I'll provide a place for you. So here in chapter 8, we see the fulfillment uh, of, of that promise reach a new level under David's rule. We actually see 
Israel become the biggest size that it will ever be in history under David and subsequently under Solomon. This is a map of modern Israel, kind of the greenish yellow there on the, on the right, to its north, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan. And if you look up kind of maps of the, the kingdom under David and under Solomon, you can see that it expands further north, a little bit further to the right. Again, I would imagine these are estimates, right? We don't, some of these places probably don't have these names anymore. But just to give you a sense, this is what it is today. This is what it once was into these other territories. Ultimately, the expansion of the kingdom, again, is a result of God's faithfulness to David and David's obedience to God. It wasn't just because David won wars. It was because all the way back to Abraham, God had promised that the kingdom would be established. The last theme that I want to explore a bit here is justice. Justice. As you read this chapter, there's no two ways about it. It's pretty brutal. This is war. It's killing soldiers, taking captives, maiming animals. What is this showing us? David's a warrior. He knew how to fight. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so much so that in First Chronicles it says... He won't build the temple because of all the blood he had shed. He was a warrior. He was a good king. But I think part of the picture that is being painted here in chapter 8 of David is that he was also the agent that God is using to bring judgment to these peoples around the nation of Israel. These people were God's, these people were enemies of the people of God. As you research the names and the people groups listed here in the chapter, there's a lot of long-standing, tumultuous relationships with the nation of Israel. A lot of wars, a lot of blood has been shed in battles. But at this point in time, right here in chapter 8, um, there's finality to these battles. David comes and actually defeats these people. We're modern readers, right? We know that's not how it stays. This goes back again. But at this time, these battles that have been being fought for hundreds and hundreds of years, David comes and he puts an end to them. God's bringing a measure of peace to the land through David as he had promised. That's a hard truth for us to ponder, South County people in 2023, that God would use the sword, that God would use the king in this way to serve justice and to bring judgment. But these people had been enemies of God. They tormented his people. They blasphemed his name. And here God is bringing judgment upon them through David. I mean, you think David defeated the Moabites. You remember who else was a Moabite? Right before the book of Samuel? Ruth. Ruth was David's great-grandmother. So David is conquering his own lineage of people in the name of God in the name of his God. So there's a lot of justice being served here, but there's an interesting exception in the narrative in verse 9. Look at chapter 8, verse 9. When Toi, the king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadad-Etzer, Toi sent his son Yoram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him 
because he had fought against Hadad Etzer and defeated him. For Hadad Etzer had often been at war with Toi. And Yoram brought with him articles of silver and of gold and of bronze. King Toi could see the writing on the wall. David is coming, and I don't want to end up like the rest of these people. I think there's a cautionary tale that we would do well to see here. It may not be today. It may not be for a long time. But the justice of God will be served. It will be served. And King Toei knew that the was coming, and so he appealed to the mercy of God by appealing to King David. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, please heed this warning. Please heed this warning. Be like this king and find a way to make peace with the God of David. His justice is coming and it will be served. And Psalm chapter 2 reinforces this reality for us. It says, The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Today is the day to seek mercy from God. Seek it while it is there to be found. As we begin to wrap up, I don't know if Brody's listening. Give him a heads up, we're a little early. Most of the truths that we've seen this morning, we've already seen taught in this book. God is faithful to keep his promises. Pastor Rick taught us a few weeks ago, God is not, God is good, but he's not safe. God is trustworthy, he's holy, and his justice will prevail. But as we come to this text this morning, believer, I ask you, where do you find yourself in life today? Have you forgotten who it is that saved you? Are you discouraged by your circumstances? Maybe you're fearful because of a lack of income right now. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness or anger or hurt. Hear a reminder this morning. The God of David is with you, and he is faithful to keep his promises. If you're discouraged this morning and you've been doubting God's goodness in your life, hear the words of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though, it water, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God's justice will be served. You be faithful today. You be faithful. Conduct yourself as Christ would have you conduct yourself 
and trust that God is working in the midst of your trials. I titled this sermon, It's Who You Know That Matters Most. The God who we serve is the king of all. Nothing will come against you that is not from his hand. He's promised to sustain you through all of your ups and downs. Will you trust him again this morning? I'm going to read a psalm. Close your Bible, close your notes. As we wrap up here and then the band will sing and we'll be done. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. But the wicked will perish like smoke. They vanish away. I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Our Father, grant us the grace to trust your promises this morning. You know where you have us this morning. You know where you've brought us from. You know where you are taking us. Help us to trust you, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness that we see to David here. Thank you for your faithfulness that we see to your promised people. And thank you for your faithfulness that you've shown us in Christ. May we bear his name honorably and show your love and your faithfulness to the people in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.cccLH.org. Dot org.